Paul Johnson is a board-certified master arborist from Austin, Texas, who works in the field of urban and community forestry. He's the coordinator of the Urban and Community Forestry Program at Texas A&M University, where he and others across the state advocate for trees and the benefits they provide. Research shows that trees have all sorts of positive environmental effects, and residents of neighborhoods with more trees are better educated, healthier, and safer. I talked with Paul about how he got into this surprisingly important field and about how trees are key to a higher quality of living for all of us. I'm Josh Morgan. My conversation with Paul is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I don't know if you're like me, but I heard a lot growing up about how good trees are for us, but not much beyond that. The messages were usually passive, so when I'd hear about things like deforestation in South America or about how urban development was wiping out our natural environment, I'd be sad about it, but not much else. I didn't know what to do about it. Like I mentioned before on this podcast, environmental problems can seem too big to solve, and I felt there wasn't much that someone like me could do to address them. Beyond sending money someplace, no one really told me what to do in a way that stuck. But now that I'm older and not limited quite as much by all-or-nothing approaches to the world's issues, I've learned that there are small things people like you and me can do to affect change. And with that in mind, I started looking into people who were working in urban and community forestry not long ago, and I came across Paul. Paul hosts a podcast about trees called Trees Are Key, and it complements the work he does throughout Texas to educate others about trees. Here's Paul Johnson, Urban and Community Forestry Program Coordinator, at the Texas A&M Forest Service. Hi, Paul. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm just listening to your podcast. It's fascinating. Oh, well, thank you. Something that's interesting to me, I was reading about forest cover in Texas ahead of our interview. Sure. And I saw that Texas only has 7% forest cover. Oh, no, that's that's way under. Or maybe it was timberland. I may be confusing the two terms. Yeah, timberland. So there, there's a lot of different ways to define forests. And one of those is through our forest inventory and analysis program. And so we've got lots and lots of traditional forests in East Texas. But once you expand things out a little bit, it, it's significantly different than that. By FIA definitions, we are the most forested state in the continental United States. That is much different than I expected. Yeah. And it, it, a lot of that forested area doesn't have really tall trees. And so that's, that's one where some people disagree over I see what what really counts and what doesn't gotcha but yeah that's that's where we're basically at is we've got a lot of trees and some of them are uh, kind of traditional in the manner of what we are looking at producing there's the area that I kind of concentrate on which is our urban and community program which is where we're looking at the benefits that aren't your typical products that people are thinking about, but more about all of the great things that trees do for us. Well, the reason I was asking you about tree cover is, you know, I was wondering how you got inspired to study trees 
as much as you do. Well, actually, I'm not even from Texas. Grew up in Oklahoma. Oh, you're not? No. I, I, okay. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I thought that I was going to be a, a physicist or a math major. Went to school and honors calc three at eight o'clock in the morning. My first semester of college uh, disabused me of that notion. Uh, after, <laughs> after not doing well there, uh, was really looking around. I, I was one of those kind of smart kids and had a good scholarship and had to keep my or get my grades up in order to keep it. And so I went back to what I really knew growing up, which was theater. So I started. Uh, going into the theater program, and yet I wasn't really happy. That That's not what I wanted to do with my life. Theater, you mean? Yeah, I, I, I grew up doing it. My mom was a director, a, an actor. I don't know. It just wasn't right for me. And I ended up going to see the movie A River Runs Through It with Brad Pitt. During that movie, which is just a absolutely beautifully shot movie, at the montage where they go from being uh, basically kids to where they go to being young adults to being men, there's a little mention of forestry. It, it's like maybe 15 seconds of the movie. But that spurred me to check into the forestry program at a different school in our state, ended up finding out that if I transferred immediately, this was over Christmas break, then I could save a year of school because I would be able to go to summer camp that first year. And that year, the summer camp was just outside of Missoula, Montana, the setting for the movie A River Runs Through It. I am willing to bet that no one else in history has ever gone through that type of experience, that sort of career path that you've been yeah, on. Uh, very few of the foresters that I know have a transcript with ballet, stage makeup, uh, costume construction. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a unique path, and it's amazing how you end up doing something like urban and community forestry, which I'm still working in the field of trees. But it's really all about people. Right, right. Now, you mentioned that trees should be used as tools more so than as ornamentation. Yes. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Like, what do you mean? Certainly. We build detention ponds. We build big sewer systems in order to capture runoff. That's one of the tools that we use. Well, one of the other tools that we can use are trees. Trees capture some of that rainfall before it ever even hits the ground. It helps some of that rainfall that does hit the ground actually go down into the ground where we really need it. And everything that's captured or that infiltrates doesn't run off into the street. If it doesn't run off into the street, it can't run off into the, the, the storm sewer system, doesn't run off into the creek, our river, whatever. And so we get less flooding that way. Same thing with cleaner air. We have catalytic converters on our car in order to reduce the number of pollutants that escape out of the tailpipe of the car for us to breathe and have to deal with. Well, trees that are planted near roadways absorb a lot of those. And so they're one of the tools that we can use to have cleaner air to breathe. And that's why trees are tools, not ornaments. Would you mind talking a little bit about the effects of trees on managing local climates? Absolutely. 
We basically call towns heat islands. If you were to fly over with a thermometer at the same level, the area outside of town is going to be cooler than the equivalent area inside of town. Uh, I've seen research to show as much as maybe 8 to 10 degrees warmer inside of town. A lot of that is because of our hardscape. So our buildings, our roadways, all of these items gather that solar energy. They, they collect it and turn it into heat. Well, they hold on to it, and a lot of it at least, until the sun goes away. And then they continue to radiate it out overnight. So not only is it just warmer during the day, but it also stays warmer all night long. And the warmer it is, the more we have to run our air conditioners. The more we have to run our air conditioners, the higher our electric bills are, the more money we're paying out of pocket because we don't have enough trees. That makes a lot of sense. Never thought of it that way. Well, and that's that's really why I do what I do. So I do a, a lot of different things, but it's all in this vein of trying to help people see what we've got. Uh, I've heard it referred to kind of as the invisible forest because people don't tend to think that they live in a forest. So when I introduce myself and say I'm an urban forester, Sometimes people are very confused, and if not confused, then they're even sometimes suspicious because urban and forest sounds like an oxymoron to a lot of people. Right, right. And yet, what is a forest? Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I could define it right off. I I think of trees and woods and such. Well, the first thing you think of is a group of trees. Right, And then you start looking around, oh, well, if you have a group of trees, then maybe you have the the soil, you might have a stream or some water, uh, maybe there's some owls or different birds, the insects, all of that together is what makes up a forest. Well, an urban I forest you. Okay. is the collection of trees and roadways and buildings and animals and bugs and crud, all of that, including us. We are an integral part of the urban forest. And whereas trees do a lot of great things for us, we don't necessarily always do a lot of great things for trees. If you change the oil on your car and you just pour that oil out onto the ground and there's a tree anywhere in that area, it's likely to take up some of that oil and get sick, if not die. If you just want to park in the shade and yet there's not a there's not a driveway or something there and you just pull your vehicle over onto the soil, you compact that soil and the tree gets hurt by that. Uh, Every time that we nail something into a tree, uh, if you don't do it right, just hanging a swing on a tree may have a negative impact on that tree. And so we work on trying to help people see the value of the trees and then decide what they can do to not only not hurt them, but also to help them even further. How did we get to the point as a society where we are so neglectful of our forest environment? Because the way you phrase it, instead of focusing just on the trees, there's this whole habitat Mm -hmm. that we have to consider. I'm just wondering if you have any insight into what happened to make us so hyper-focused on, I guess, essentially what's in front of us, like in our constructed built environment rather than our natural environment around us? Sure. I think that a big part of it has to do with the fact that trees almost seem invulnerable. 
they don't tend to respond very quickly. So we just got through going through some flooding. We also went through drought. The last 10 years in Texas have been really tough. And yet the trees don't turn brown immediately. And because of that, we don't really think of them as being sensitive. And so I think we really have to just remember that it is a system. We're all working in conjunction with one another. And it wouldn't be good to have 100% tree cover and not have any buildings for us to live in. But it's also not good to have 100% of buildings and roadways without any trees. And so for us, it's really a matter of trying to figure out what is that great balance between the natural and the man-made. Back into the 70s when you got the Lorax and Rachel Carson in Silent Spring, for a long time, people have known that trees are important. And yet we're still struggling to get people to understand that. I have a theory on why, and it's because, for the most part at least, tree people go into the business of trees. And so we've just always kind of just done just enough to keep things going, whereas you have other industries like lawn care that are very much just right next to what we do, except that there's a high profit margin in lawn care. And therefore, there's lots of money for advertising. So in the spring, as people are kind of waking up from the winter, they're going outside, they're spending more time outside. Before that, they were listening to the ads from this weed control company or from that fertilization company on, here's what you have to do to have that beautiful, well-cared-for, weed-free green lawn. That never occurred to me before, huh? Yeah, you, you don't get the same sales on the importance of trees, and here's what you have to do for trees. It also, I think, goes back, and, and sociologically, if you think about it, people had to have wealth in order to have large lawns. Back before mechanization, it took a lot of time and effort to have that big, grassy lawn. Yeah, it was a status symbol. Yeah, it was a status symbol. It's a sign of affluence. And that has taken a hold in our society. And people still, uh, they get a lot of goodwill from others and particularly internally from that idea of, oh, wow, look at that. I've got that big, beautiful lawn out there. Goes back to your point. Now it's full circle, at least in my mind, where you bring up that we should be treating trees as tools instead of as decoration. Yeah, you can treat them as tools or think of them as assets. So assets are something that not only do you have, but they also pay back. So if you have a good budget and you know how much money you have coming in and you know how much money you have going out and you're taking care of everything, you're probably going to get a little bit better each year. On the other hand, if you're kind of hand to mouth, you don't really know what's coming in or you don't pay attention to it, you may be getting in a little bit worse place each year financially. I see. It's the same with our trees. If we don't know what we have, we can manage them. Lots of communities do it all the time, but you can't manage them efficiently and effectively. 
And so that's that's one of the things that we really push for people to do is do an inventory, do a tree canopy assessment so that you have an idea of what your resources are so you can do a better job of taking care of them. So what are some ways you've been successful as an arborist? Like, where do you feel you've done a, a good job presenting ideas like these? My biggest problem is trying to focus in on just one or two. I think the planting of a single tree can change the world. How so? If you go into a neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of trees, you go into a neighborhood park where there is a bench that overlooks the ballpark, you plant a tree on the west side of that bench. As it grows every year, it gets a little bit bigger. It casts a little bit more shade. You'll find that the people will cluster right underneath that tree in that shade during those hot, hot, sunny days. Makes sense. That has changed the world for those people. Not only that, but it's helping keep the air cleaner. It's keeping the environment cooler. It's doing all of the other things that trees do for us. And so every single tree that I've planted that has survived, I'm really, really proud of. But on the other hand, there are other things that are more systematic, So one that I'm really proud of is a number of years ago, I was the regional urban forester with the Forest Service out of San Antonio, and it was during the 2008-2009 slowdown, the recession, and one of the departments in the city went out and got a grant in order to plant trees for energy savings. Now, nobody in that department really knew anything about trees, had no idea how they were going to do that, but they went out and got the money came back and contacted the city arborist, the city forester, myself, and said, okay, we've got this money now. What are we going to do with it? And so we went through a lot of different things. We do a lot of what we call tree adoptions. Other places, they call them giveaways. So people will line up for hours ahead of time to get a free tree, particularly if it's a fruit or nut tree. Well, we changed the terminology from a tree giveaway to a tree adoption because a tree is a living, growing entity. But they didn't really want to do just another tree adoption, because we already did some of those, and really wanted to focus in, because the grant was for energy savings, partnered with the municipal utility. We were able to take this funding as the seed money for a program. It's called Green Shade, and it's a tree rebate program. So we were able to bring in the growers and the sellers to help us promote this program. And this tree rebate is still ongoing, even though those federal funds ran out several years ago. And we've now had thousands upon thousands of trees that are planted because of this program. With us being involved, it turned it into something that's still paying off today. And we'll continue to because the whole idea was planting these trees will reduce the amount of electricity that we need each year as they grow. Well, by needing less electricity, you may not have to build a new electrical plant. And that's where you get a lot of bang for your buck by investing in trees. I love that you put it in that context because I I guess I understand that they do play a role you know, eventually in, you know, our, our energy cycle, but Mm -hmm. 
to that extent, you know, when you link it to the energy that we consume, I guess I just never put those things together. That that gives it a whole new context. Yes. And then it's really an exciting time because we are getting more and more research more and more information every year about the amazing things that trees do that benefit us. We've got research that shows a connection between trees and people. So it doesn't matter almost what your topic of interest is. Uh, Maybe you have kids and you want those kids to do really well in school. Well, we've got research that shows that Kids that can see trees from their classroom or their cafeteria do better in school. They're more likely to go to school. They have higher standardized test scores and are more likely to go to college. Interesting. A lot of people have that conversation of, oh, well, is that causation or correlation? The difference being if it's causation, okay, the trees are causing the kids to do better in school. Correlation, well, maybe... We have more trees around schools that are better invested in. That's, yeah, I was going to say that, right? Yeah. It doesn't really matter if it's causation or correlation if they're connected. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, correlation and causation aside, it's uh, overall it can be interpreted as a, an expression of care yep. to have trees around. So that could be the factor right there. It could be. Another interesting research uh, study It has to do with domestic violence. Now, we've got lots of research studies that show that areas that have lots of trees tend to have less crime. They have less violent crime, less vandalism, those kinds of things. But there was one study that looked at domestic violence rates in the same public housing unit. Two sides had windows that looked out over green space. The other two sides of the building looked out over the typical urban, kind of the urban jungle of no trees, lots of buildings, those kinds of things. Trying to take everything else into account, the domestic violence rates were lower in those apartments that could see trees through the windows. Fascinating. It really is. Then you get into health. There's a little critter up in the Midwest and Northeast, you may have heard about it, emerald ash borer. Emerald ash borer was an insect that hitchhiked its way across from Asia in packing material, either in a boat or a plane, who knows. First showed up outside of Detroit and since then has marched across the country, killing virtually all of the ash trees in its way. There is an economist with the U.S. Forest Service, Jeffrey Donovan, who's gone in and done several studies being able to look at health information before and after this critter was in that area. So as the critter marches through, it kills the ash trees, reduces the amount of canopy. So you have a lower percentage of that community covered with trees than they were beforehand. In those areas that have lost trees, Infant birth weights have gone down. Cardiovascular disease has gone up in those areas that have lost trees. Wow. There is a huge connection between trees and public health, trees and education, trees and public safety. If there is a better argument for doing more for our trees, for doing better for our trees, I haven't been able to come up with it. Wow. That... that I'm, it's just so 
what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say bewildering, but I'm just like amazed that mm-hmm. there are all these things about our natural environment, including trees that affect us, that we just have no idea of either because we don't realize them yet or because we take them for granted. Absolutely. It, it's worth the investment to remind people of, to educate people about, and really to, to help us do a better job of thinking about our trees as we're making decisions. Often for our communities, it comes down to, okay, well, are we going to have an urban forester or are we going to have another police officer? And if you don't understand that trees are more than just pretty, it's really easy to make that decision. Oh, well, we need another police officer. As great as trees are, eventually they fall down. And that means that there is risk involved with trees as well as them being great. Well, if you have a professional that can help you reduce the risk of having trees in your community, that's also public safety. And so we really have to do a good job of making sure that trees are included in the conversation on almost anything uh, that we're talking about. That is so profound. I've never heard this before. Well, that's, that, that's why I do what I do, is so many people <laughs> haven't heard it before. If, if you can't tell, that, that's what I'm preaching. <laughs> you know, trees aren't a universal fixture in all climates. Sure. I, I was thinking like maybe even in, in Western Texas, there, there might be some areas where, that are kind of arid and don't support trees. Absolutely. How would the work you do translate over to that sort of environment or even like in urban environments that are, I guess, where, where there's not easy access to trees? Like, how does your work apply to that? I think that's where our work is the most vital. As people kind of marched across the country, rainfalls dropped precipitously. And yet, even in the Great Plains, where there was water, there were trees. Because people and trees are so intrinsically linked, when people start to build a community, they start planting trees also. You just have to make a good selection on what kind of tree you're going to grow. So you don't want to take a tree that requires lots and lots of water and put it out into West Texas where we don't have lots of water. So that's, that, that's really the key to it is species selection, making sure that we've got the right tree in the right place. That's part of the management process. That yes. makes sense. So if I wanted to start improving tree maintenance mm-hmm. in my own community, what would be some of the first steps you would recommend? Three things that I recommend. First off, contact your community leaders. I talk about this in the first podcast of this year, Key Resolutions for Trees. Call, write, email, tweet, uh, whatever. Go to the city council meeting and take your two minutes of public time and let them know that trees are important to you. Find out if there's a city forester. Find out if there's a city arborist. Find out if there's a tree board. Get involved. Thank those people that are taking care of trees and make sure that the people that write the checks know that you, as a citizen of that community, value trees. Next step, get involved. If there is a local tree board, volunteer to serve on the tree board. Or if they have a committee, if there's an Arbor Day celebration, help them with that celebration. Find out if there's a local tree nonprofit. In places like Philadelphia, Tree Philly, 
great organizations that are really concentrating on helping increase the tree canopy in our communities. You can invest money or time into these organizations. They can always use both, and both is probably better than one or the other. At the same time, I think the third and just as important, if not more so than the first two, is educate yourself. Find out more about trees, about why trees are important, how to care for them. If you know a little bit about how a tree grows and you see somebody do something really dumb to a tree, you can explain why taking that string trimmer and beating up the trunk of the tree all the way around the base of the tree isn't good for the tree. The more people know about something, the more affinity they have for it, the more understanding, and the more likely they are to step up and say, this is important to us. Is there a website or other resources you would recommend if people wanted, for example, like to build their case before they went to a city council meeting or even if they wanted to educate themselves like like you were referring to? I have and am continuing to try to put everything that I've gleaned from the last 20, 25 years into these little 10-minute podcasts each week. Beyond Trees Are Key podcast, you're looking at treesaregood.com is a great site. Uh, It's from the International Society of Arboriculture. Your local master gardeners, master naturalists, garden club, your state forestry program. I mean, really, here in Texas, we've got a great program But all of the states across the U.S. have urban and community forestry programs. The nonprofits, the the, the NGOs, lots of really great information out there, almost too much. So Mm -hmm. look for information that's not just from any Yahoo. If you go to YouTube and search how to prune a tree and then you look at those that are the most popular, there's not a good resource in the top 10 most popular how to prune a tree videos. And so we are now as an industry really trying to focus in. And I think one of the challenges is you've got so many different organizations. You've got so many different territories yeah. and everything. There's a lot of noise. Really, yeah, there is a lot of noise. And it's hard to kind of glean what's the best. But if you need to hire a professional, Look for a certified arborist. If you're working in your community and you really want to encourage better care in the parks and you find out that nobody in that community is a certified arborist, find out some way to help encourage them to do that. Uh, Just share. Uh, Now, going back to your work, what would be the best way to follow you online? So both Instagram and Twitter. My handle is Treevangelist. We've got the Trees Are Key podcast. It's hosted through SoundCloud, but you can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, however people access their podcasts. I've tried to make it timely from a calendar standpoint. So when the, the leaves are changing in the fall, make sure that fall leaves are key. Uh, All right. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things just to, to, to keep it interesting. It's just fascinating and fun, and I really I appreciate you reaching out and being interested. Yeah, glad to do it. 
What's interesting to me too, and another reason I reached out is there's this whole community of arborists that I, I guess don't get a lot of attention unless mm-hmm. people are specifically looking for your, your type of work. So uh, I don't know. There's this whole world of work that you do that's interesting, and I think more people should be aware of. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. It really is. Uh, trees are key to healthier and happier communities, and we really help take care of the people that take care of the trees. Is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to talk about? No, I really think that we've covered it well. I was wondering, how do, how does a person become an arborist? Okay, there's a number of routes. Anybody that works on trees can consider themselves an arborist. It's when you want to become a certified arborist that you start having to do certain things a certain way. ISA, International Society of Arboriculture, is the, the certifying body for arborists worldwide. To become a certified arborist, you have to qualify to sit for the exam. And that qualification comes as a combination of education and experience. Once you qualify to sit for the exam, the exam itself is a over 200 question multiple choice test. Then we have things like qualifications. It's a great field. It's not one of those fields that's likely to be automated. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's something that should be fairly future proof. Well, this has been fascinating, and I'm so glad you made time to talk with me because I would have never had any idea about most of this stuff. Absolutely. Happy to. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. You bet. This is the Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care. Take care.